Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message, for I decided to concentrate only on Jesus and his death on the cross. Someone say, stick to Jesus. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. Come on, how many want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in this place today? Oh, come on, I think we can go a little better than that. How many want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in this place? Here's how he concludes. He says, I did this so that you might trust the power of God rather than human Wisdom. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you off of this thought. You are missing the point. You are missing the point. One more time. Clap your hands and you may be seated. Have you ever missed the point? That's a rhetorical question because we've all missed the point. Some of us just miss it more often than others. But we've all missed a point sometime or another. I was reading this book and I recommended it to all of you. It's this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's a great read and it's all about slowing down your life and it's all about Sabbath and it's about getting the pace of your life right in this day and age where information is fast and technology is changing. It's easy to get worked up, but how many know that God is in the still small moments? And so I, I, I was recommending this book to a friend of mine, just like I recommended it to you. And I was telling him, you got to read this book. And he kind of shrugged it off. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it. And then finally, he was all excited because he took a picture of the book that I had been recommending to him, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he sent it to me. He's like, I got the book. But I couldn't help but laugh because the book was actually the cliff notes to the book. And I said, you know, if there's ever a book that there should not be cliff notes to, I think the book, The Elimination of Hurry, does not need a summary guide. I mean, you really ought to slow down. I mean, if you can't slow down to read the book, you're kind of missing the point. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Like, you kind of missed the point. And I told him I couldn't help it. I had to give him a hard time. I said, you know, I don't think you're supposed to read the summary of a book called Unhurrying Your Life. Here's another one that I shared with you just a few minutes ago. I, I, I'm sorry, a few Sundays ago, I was talking to you all about my wife's love language, and I talked to you about how my wife's love language, and one of the ways that she receives love is when I take her to run her errands. You see, she likes to be driven to run her errands. And, um, and so I, you know, I'll drive her to one store. She'll get off, do her shopping, you know. Sometimes I'll pull up to the curb, let her get out, go find parking, meet her in the store, come back, pick her up. And she just loves it. She just, she just loves that, you know. And early on in our marriage, I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. Some of y'all know where I'm going with it. I'm like, wouldn't it be more efficient if we multitasked and I dropped you off at the store and I went to go run that errand and by the time we're done, you know, we're just done. And she's giving me that, that, that look, that side eye like she just said a minute ago. Like, that's not the point. And I'm here to declare after 15 years of marriage, I figured it out. 
I missed the point then, but I got it. Now, the point wasn't to be efficient. The point was to be together. That, that's the point. And I wasn't getting the point. But, you know, like I said, I, I figured it out now 15 years. I got it. I'm a little, a little slow, but we got there 15 years later. Now, now, it's easy to laugh these off now and think, you know, come on, that's kind of silly. But, but, but really, missing the point can be more detrimental than you think. And the reason Paul was so frustrated with the church in Corinth and the reason we've called this series a hot mess because the church in Corinth was completely missing the point. Remember in chapter 1, which we talked about just last week, they were fighting over who their favorite apostle was. I mean, that's not even something we should be fighting over. Some were saying, Peter's my guy. Others were saying, Paul is my guy. Some said, Apollos is my guy. And others said, I'm all about Jesus. And Paul had to just, just break that up. And we had, a, we had a good time talking about that last week. And, and it continues here in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians because the, the, the church was just missing the whole point. The church was wild. And somebody say hot mess. The church was a hot mess. And Paul says this. He, he begins by saying this to the church in Corinth. When I first came to you, I did not use lofty words or brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. Now, if I say that to you right now, because you don't have any context of why that matters, you might be thinking, what's your point, Paul? I, I, why do you even have to say that? He said, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words or brilliant ideas. I didn't do any of that. Now, in order to understand why Paul said that, you need to understand the story of Mars Hill. Somebody say, what's Mars Hill? I'm so glad you asked. You guys are so smart, you know, just asking important questions that need to be asked. What's Mars Hill? You see, to understand what Mars Hill is, you have to go back, back to the book of Acts. Or as some would say, I'm going back, back to Acts, Acts. Sorry, I'm a 90s baby, okay? I'm a kid from the 90s. But in Acts, some of y'all got it. Some of you are like, he is weird. In Acts chapter 17, now watch this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul arrived at the city of Athens. And when Paul arrived at the city of Athens, he did so because he was fleeing for his life. He was in Thessalonica, that's a weird city back in those days, and he's preaching the gospel, and he had to run because the, the, the people in that city were, were just about done with Paul's message of Jesus. So the Bible records that he had to flee Thessalonica, so he, he runs to Athens, and when he gets to Athens, Paul does what he always does. He's looking for a place to preach. He's looking for a place to share the good news of Jesus. And the Bible says that he's walking around Athens. Now think about Athens for a second. Think about Athens and, and, and Greece and, and, and all of the, the Greek mythology that existed at that time. And, and Paul, in Acts 17, we read the story by Luke that, that, that talks about how Paul one day on Mars Hill begins to walk around. And he sees all of these statues to the various gods that they had in Athens at that time. You all know your Greek mythology. You learned about that in school. And then he even stumbled upon one statue that said, to the unknown God. And then that was all the material that Paul needed to begin preaching. And so he gets up and he starts preaching to the people that were there. And then he said, you men of Athens are more superstitious than I could even begin to imagine. I'm kind of paraphrasing some of this. But he begins to talk to them about this unknown God. And Paul preached a masterful sermon right there. I mean, you should really go and read Acts chapter 17. If you like good preaching, 
Go and read Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 17. Because he uses this statue to the unknown God as an object for his lessons. Object lessons always make for good sermons, right? And he, he begins to create a tension. He said, I, I think you guys are more superstitious than you guys give yourself credit for. And then he begins to use illustrations of things that they see. He starts talking about the God who created everything that they could see. I mean, he was delivering a master class of a sermon. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the preachers that comes to mind when I think of sermon master classes is T.D. Jakes. How many of y'all love some Bishop Jakes? I just love Bishop Jakes. I mean, I can listen to him all day long. The way that he fluctuates his voice and the theatrics and the manner in which he preaches. And I think I even confessed to all of y'all that I wanted to be the Mexican T.D. Jakes when I was 18 years old. I so badly wanted to preach like him. But then I just realized I just had to go in my own grace and in my own gift. But T.D. Jakes can just preach a master class. Think of Paul. And that's what Paul was doing on Mars Hill. He preached a master class. But something happens at the end of all of that. Acts chapter 17, verse 34. If we have that verse, put it on the screen. It says, but some joined him and became believers. So after Paul preached what was a master class of a sermon, the Bible says, so some joined him. Somebody say some. Some. He had an impact. Some impact. There was, there was definitely something that they received. Some did. Some did. So now you understand why when we get to the book of Corinthians and when Paul starts writing in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, he begins to tell them, you know, I didn't come to you with lofty words like he did when he was in Athens. You know, I didn't come to you with brilliant speech like he did when he was in Athens. He said, for I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. The first thing that I want you to write down is Jesus is our message. And I want you to get that because any other message that the church sends that is not Jesus is kind of missing the point. How many know that it begins and it ends with him? I said, how many of you know that our message is all about Jesus? How many of you know that what this world really needs is not another church with rules, regulations, and religion? What this world really needs is Jesus and to have a relationship with him. That's the main thing. Somebody say it's the main thing. We have to talk all about Jesus. We are called to be followers of Jesus. Jesus. I worry when people can tell me a lot about their church and tell me a little bit about Jesus. I worry for people that can tell me a lot about their rules but don't know enough about Jesus. Because we have got to model his life. We have got to mirror his life. We have got to be for the things that Jesus was for. I truly believe if more people acted like him, it would solve a lot of our problems. We talked about this last week. Jesus wasn't a racist. Jesus was not sexist. Jesus was not a misogynist. And the list goes on and on what Jesus wasn't. And there's a lot of people that profess to be Jesus followers and are all of those things. But I'm sorry. You cannot claim to be a Jesus follower and be any of that. 
Jesus is our message, and what this world needs is not a motivational, not a motivational speech, but what they really need is the message of Jesus and the message of the cross, because it was Jesus who went to the cross. It was Jesus who took on our shame. It was Jesus who took on our suffering. That should have been me on that cross. That should have been me dying in my sin, but the good news of the gospel is you don't have to suffer because Jesus suffered. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to walk in shame because he took on our shame you do know that the gospel means the good news that's why whenever a church starts to preach bad news I'm like I don't know if that's the gospel because the gospel is good news somebody say good news and what happened in the church of Corinth is they took their eyes off of Jesus they started talking about I roll with Paul I roll with Apollos. Hold on a second. And Paul said, Jesus is our message. Why are you getting caught up in who baptized you and who's your favorite apostle? None of that even matters. The only thing that matters is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. And anytime our message is not about Jesus, we're starting to get off course. Now, I'm not saying you can't entertain yourself and have conversations about the text and want to unpack theology. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be involved and aware of the affairs of this world, but make no mistake, Jesus is our message. Make no mistake, if there's one thing that you want to align with, you want to align with him. There's a lot of things that are competing for your attention in this world, but do not take your eyes off of Jesus. Amen? You see, here's, here, let me break this down a little more. You see, when Jesus becomes the main thing, listen, he becomes the superhero in your story. Say it said differently. This is going to hurt a little bit. I love you, okay? You are not the superhero of your story. And for some of you that want to be in control of everything, you know, you have a problem with that. You're like twitching right now even as I talk about it. <laughs> you see, when Jesus is the main thing, we realize that he's the champion of our story, not us. I'm not the champion of my story. Oh, I made this great turnaround. What do you mean talking about I made this great turnaround? This turnaround was possible because of him. I'm only able to walk in the grace that I can today because of what he did. And it wasn't anything else but Jesus. And so Jesus is the champion of our story. Can I get a good amen on that? Jesus is the superhero of our story. Can I get a good amen on that? It's not about what we do, but it is about what Jesus has done. I was real, really quiet. Wait a second, Pastor, but I do a lot of good things. And you should. Because faith without works is dead. But make no mistake, it's not about what you do. It is all about what Jesus has done. That's why when he hung on a cross, he said the words, it is you can't add to what he did, and you can't take away from what he did. It's already done, and he declared it is finished. Now, now, now Paul, in his intellect and with his pedigree, he, he, he came to the realization, you know, I preached an amazing message out there in Athens, but only a handful of people came around. But only a handful of people got the point. And I think Paul woke up to this because later in Philippians, he would write that I count everything that I have gained. Come on. What did he say about that, man? I, I just count that as dung, some translations say. He said, I count that for loss. He says, I, I just put those things behind me, forgetting those things which are behind me and focusing on those things which are before me. I, I, I chase towards the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm just going to chase Jesus. You see, Paul recognized that. 
between Acts 17 and to the time that he's now evangelizing in the church of Corinth, he realized that if I focused on Jesus, Jesus would open up more doors than I could even imagine. And when I focus on Jesus, he will allow me to go further than I could ever imagine. If I focus on Jesus, I can go higher than I've ever imagined. When I focus on Jesus, it becomes his plan to execute, not mine. And so when things don't go our way, I don't lose sleep over it. Because at the end of the day, this ain't my church. This is his church. He said, Josh, serve my church, and that's what I'll do. But make no mistake, this is not my story. Somebody say, this is our story. This is our story. That's what's so beautiful about our one-year anniversary that's coming up, because the one-year anniversary isn't my story. It isn't Joanna and I's story, but it is the collective story of all of us, all of us together propping up this message of the gospel, coming into a school, proclaiming the name of Jesus, into a city and into a county. How many know that when we keep Jesus the main thing, we could never go wrong? I said, how many know that when we keep Jesus the main thing, we could never go wrong? Clap your hands if you believe that in this house. So what does that look like, Pastor Josh? This is the next thing that I want you to write down. I've said this before. This is house talk. This is house language that we use. Lead from your strengths, but minister through your brokenness. Lead from your strengths. God has gifted you. You have been equipped to do good works. That's Ephesians. You have been equipped to do good works. But when you minister, don't minister out of the strengths. You minister out of your brokenness. Some of you might be wondering, what in the world is he talking about? First, let me say this. If you want to discover your strengths, go to Growth Track today, right after service. My wife will be teaching. Today, we are taking a personality assessment and a leadership assessment. Married couples in the room, listen to me. This is going to help your marriage, okay? This is going to help your marriage because you're going to understand how God wired your spouse. And then when you get home, you're going to have an aha moment and realize they're not broken. <laughs> they're exactly the way God made them. But it should help you. It should help you going forward. Now, now, listen, we want to help you discover your strengths, but, but, but what does it mean to minister through your brokenness? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I came to you in weakness and trembling. Now, now, Acts 17, he put his intellect on display, didn't he? Because remember, Paul was sharp as a whip. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Benjamite. He had the birth order. He had the pedigree. And yet he got to this point where he realized that can only take me so far. I mean, I tried all of that. I, I, I put my dual citizenship on display. And I let them know, hey, I'm a Jew, but I'm also a citizen of Rome at the same time. You have to treat me with equality. And so he used that as a platform for his ministry. And when he was done trying to preach through his strengths, he realized, I need to minister through my brokenness. I need to tell my story of where God brought me from. Your story will minister to people much more than you bragging about what God has done through you and your strengths. It does. When you can tell someone your story. You know, and I got to thinking about this. I imagine a conversation with Paul now, okay? If you had a conversation with Paul, who now ministers out of his brokenness, I, I started writing something, okay? I thought, how would Paul tell his story if he was to come up here? Paul might tell his story and indulge me, if you will. It might go a little something like this. You know, I once killed people who talked about Jesus. I know, I know. That, 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 that sounds crazy, right? Because now 
I am one of them. I'm one of those people that preaches about Jesus. I mean, at one point in time, I thought so much of myself. I had everything going for me. But one day, see, one day, everything changed. I was knocked off of the horse that I was riding, blinded by this God that I didn't even know. And then he showed me my real identity. You see, he thought he had it all figured out until God said, man, this ain't who you are. Blinded until God showed me who my real identity was. This Jesus showed me who I was born to be. And man, I haven't been the same since. And I mean, it didn't come easy. Because right after that happened, I couldn't even be around the Jesus followers. Because, you know, I kind of killed some of their cousins. And yeah, it was not safe for me to be around them. They were saved, but not that saved, okay? How many met some people that are like not that saved? You know, one, you know, one minute they're in here worshiping. The next minute they want to cut you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like not that saved. But we love them. And we welcome them in the church, and we pray for them. And, and, and so, so Paul was like, I, I actually couldn't even go around the other believers so, because they hated me. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. They hated me. So what I had to do was I had to go to a desert for like three years, and God hid me in a desert for like three years. And, and, you know, imagine that for a second. See, you know, I once was a big shot, but here I am now, a castaway. But let me tell you, those three years with Jesus, being alone with him, they changed everything. I am so much different today than I was before that happened. And it's all because of Jesus. Come on, someone clap for Paul right now. Come on, Paul's got a testimony. Y'all get what I'm saying? Now, now, I don't know for certain that Paul preached his story like that, but I imagine that's kind of how it went. When he began to tell the story of what Jesus did, and when we keep Jesus the main thing, when we share our story with people, we are telling them from the perspective of look at what he's done in my life. Look at how he has changed me. Look at how he has healed my marriage. Look at how he has brought me back from a place that I never want to go back to. Jesus is our message. I said Jesus is our message. And you see, when you, when you preach a message like that and when we focus on Jesus, we realize that it's our brokenness and not our success that will relate to people. I'm going to say that one more time so you understand what I'm saying. It is our brokenness and not our success that will help us reach people. It's not my victories. It's not my good, it's not my good works. But it is my brokenness that can make the biggest difference in someone's life. And, and Paul is telling them, church, listen, listen, listen. It's all about Jesus. And, 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 and I came to you in meekness. And I came to you trembling, but, but he didn't stop there because finally Paul says this. He said, I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit. Somebody say Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. Last thing that I want you to write down, the Holy Spirit must be powerful among us. The Holy Spirit must be powerful among us. I love how Paul levels up with the church and tells them, you know, I... I'm done trying to press people. I just let Jesus show up. I just, I just let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. And that's the big key, church. Preach Jesus and let his Spirit do the work. I'll say that one more time. That's the big key. Preach Jesus and let his Spirit do the work. Every day when I get 
um, an opportunity to speak to you on, to teach and, and to, to impart the word of God. I realize my words can only go so far. But some of you are going to walk out of here having a life-changing encounter that has nothing, with what, had nothing to do with what I said and everything to do with what the Holy Spirit did in your heart today. Because he can go places that I can't go. And he can touch your heart in a way that I can't touch your heart. And he can navigate into the crevices of your life and bring healing in places that you never thought could ever be healed. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so Paul said, you know, I'm done trying to use brilliant ideas and persuasive speeches. I'm just going to preach Jesus and let the Holy Spirit be powerful among you. How many want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in this house? Come on, can I get a bigger amen on that? I said, how many want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in our midst? How many want his spirit to show up in this house? And I'm coming to a close now. And do you want to know why that is so important? And it's not, and listen, I've heard some people say, we need to make room for the Holy Spirit. You don't make room for the Holy Spirit. You put him in charge. Okay, that's not what you do. You don't say, okay, now we're going to let whatever God wants to do, we're going to have time in our program. Look, we even put it in planning center. See, Holy Spirit time. No, 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 no. We're not going to give him time. What we're going to do is we're going to let him take the wheel. We're going to let him take the lead. He's in charge, and we're going to follow the Spirit's lead. Come on, clap your hands if you agree with that. We're just going to let him drive because here's the deal. It's something I learned a long time ago. You can argue with my doctrine all you want, but you can't argue with a miracle. You can argue with me about Jesus all you want, but there is no arguing about a miracle. You see, you can't argue when the sick are being healed. Can I get an amen on that? And you can't argue when someone who is bound is now finding freedom. You can't argue when a marriage that was about to go to divorce is immediately restored, miraculously turned around, and that marriage is thriving. You can't argue when lives are being changed. That's why we just got to let God do his thing. And stop trying to make everything else the main thing. And that's what Paul was saying. I just let God do his thing. I preach Jesus. I just preach. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. And then I, I just ministered out of my brokenness. And, and when it was all said and done, I said, okay, God, now, now do what only you can do. And the sick were being healed. And the blind were being made to see. And the deaf could all of a sudden start hearing. That's how God operates. And that's the kind of church that we are becoming, Lighthouse. I said, that's the kind of church that we are, that we are becoming. Amen, Lighthouse? Because we want to preach Jesus, but then we want to have a move of God. We, we, we want God to show up and to do what he does. Because this I know. We're not going to win this city with great programs. We won't. Do we want to have great programs? Yes, we do. Is that what's going to win this city? No, it won't. We're not going to win this city with great social media. Do we like good social media? Sure, why not? It's cool. Let's do it. Do I like production? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love production. Is that going to change someone's life? Nah, it's not going to change someone's life. Will we do it? Absolutely. We want to be current. You know, we're always going to be trying to reach out and impact people. We will always do that. We will do whatever we've got to do to reach people. Short of sinning, we will do whatever we've got to do to reach people. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to put, the only, the only thing that's going to cause this city to have a wave of revival is the move of the Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to have revival in this city. I said, I don't know about you, but I want to see a revival in this city. And it starts here, and it starts with what we do. And I just want to close right now by just asking you to lean in. And just pray that the Holy Spirit would show up. 
I'm not talking about next year. I'm talking about right now. So would you lean in right there where you're at? Would you close your eyes? I want you just to start having a conversation with your father. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.